Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Absana Begum is one of the few working-class Muslim women elected in Parliament, representing Poplar Limehouse since 2019. She's been a fearless champion for causes like taking on poverty and fighting for peace, but she's spoken out about her experiences of domestic abuse, and she faces an attempt to deselect her as a Labour MP, and how the abuse that she said she has suffered has been weaponised against her, and the Labour Party itself has failed, many have argued, in its duty of care. Absana, it's such an honour to speak to you on International Women's Day. Hello. Hi. Hi, Owen. Now, you took time off work after your experiences and you began a phased return uh, back in the autumn of 2022. But you said that there'd been a failure in a duty of care in relation to your health and well-being. So I just want to know, if you could just explain to us, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think even just entering Parliament, I mean, I'm the first hijabering MP in Parliament, you would think uh, that there would be more support provided uh, to me than, than the average Labour MP. I mean, nobody who looks like me has ever entered Parliament before. And, you know, the, the, the experience has been the complete opposite. Um, there just isn't the support in place in the party to protect or safeguard people like me. And what I said in June 2020, uh, well, in September 2022, um, after I came back um, from a period of sickness is, is um, I, don't, I don't think anything much has has changed. And I, I, you know, my independent domestic violence advocate working with Refuge, um, you know, said that, you know, the trigger process was an extension of the abuse that I'd already endured. But I, I reached out to the party, you know, I, I sent correspondence to the party, I asked for support. Um, and that didn't come through. Um, and I think that does that does definitely still pose questions as to the support uh, that is able to be provided by the Labour Party to survivors of domestic abuse, uh, because I certainly don't feel that I've had any meaningful um, uh, engagement or support um, on, on this front. So just to be clear, so people, some people might not be familiar with some of the terminology. So when you talk about a trigger pro process, a trigger ballot, what that means is, a vote to trigger the process to potentially deselect you, remove you um, as the Labour candidate, which you were elected back in 2019. So you just want to explain, in terms of talking about that being weaponised, what you went through for, for, for those factional ends, because you're someone on the left, you're someone on the left of the Labour Party. Um, but what, what do you mean by that in terms of the trigger process and, and how that's been abused? Yeah, I mean, I contacted uh, the Labour Party, I contacted the General Secretary during the trigger process, as you say, which is a process which determines, you know, whether um, the sitting uh, Labour MP should be um, reselected and, and fight as the Labour candidate in the next general election. Um, that's the process we have in the Labour Party. Uh, but it became very clear to me and to people around me, um, including Labour Party members locally in Poplar and Limehouse, uh, that my ex-husband and his allies um, were very much involved in uh, that process, um, despite him being under investigation uh, following I com a complaint I put in 
um, you know, looking looking at the timeline now, a, a year and a half ago. So I'm still waiting for a conclusion to that complaint um, that I made uh, about my ex-husband a year and a half ago. Um, and nonetheless, he was able to participate um, in that process. Um, and as, I, as I've said, um, my independent domestic violence advocate saw that and believed that to be um, an extension of the abuse I'd already endured um, up to that point. And, but look, I contacted the party. I communicated with uh, the general secretary, um, you know, and put forward the warnings that were given by my um, advocate. Um, but what I received instead was a, a standard pro forma response from the from the party safeguarding uh, team. Uh, nothing at all from the party leader. Um, and that process, um, which in in some cases can can go on for about a month, it, it still continued uh, to go on for a further thirteen days um, after um, uh, after concerns were raised until um, its ultimate completion. So, you know, it was a process uh, that. Um, made me sick, you know, it made me unwell um, because I have been raising my concerns about uh, my ex-husband with the party for some time now. Um, and there was no intervention uh, by the party at any level uh, to, in to, to ensure that the process could um, ensure my safety and could ensure my well-being. I mean, what do you think it tells us that about the inner workings of the Labour Party that your husband, who you've who's under investigation, um, you've spoken about your experiences of domestic abuse, that there hasn't been action to prevent that in, in as you say, because your domestic, your, your, your support has made it clear that this is an extension of the abuse that you face. What does it tell us about the inner workings of the Labour Party that that isn't being taken seriously? I mean, I think the question definitely comes up for me, certainly, about, you know, whether there's one rule applied for some and another rule applied uh, for me. And I I can't think of any uh, other example or case in the Labour Party or any other MP that is being treated in the way that I am being treated uh, by the Labour Party. And, you know, the question comes up, you know, why did the Labour Party continue to uh, continue to carry out and go forward with the trigger process whilst I was certified of SIG? Uh, when there doesn't seem to be any particular reason as to why there could not have been a postponement um, and that this process was damaging my health even further. And, and you know, when, uh, not all MPs face trigger ballots. Um, mm -hmm. I understand the Berry, Berry South um, MP Christian Wakeford will not face a trigger ballot process. Mm -hmm. um, it's to my understanding that in 2019, a number of other Labour MPs um, were midway through similar challenges. And it's understood that the uh, party's National Executive Committee decided to endorse them all as candidates ahead of the SNAP general election. Um, I can think of, um, to my understanding, two other examples. Um, Lynn Brown, my, my colleague in, in West Ham, um, in 2019, um, she's not faced uh, her trigger ballot process um, as yet, even though the party said it was a priority last year to uh, complete the trigger uh, ballot processes and her local parties in special measures. Um, it's also, to my understanding, actually, Owen, that um, uh, Brad in Bradford West, um, Naz Shah, uh, her process, trigger process, started in early 2022, but was postponed and then recommenced uh, later on last year. Um, but there's there's been nothing um, in, in that sense uh, for someone like me who has gone through what I've gone through. And that definitely leads me and, and others certainly 
you know, questioning whether there is a specific set of, you know, uh, rules being applied to me and, and, and some available for others and, and other measures being available for other people. I mean, a striking example was that of Ellie Reeves, who's Labour MP for Lewisham West. And I mean, in that case, didn't even be, it wasn't even, didn't even start a trigger process. Basically, a party member suggested she should face a trigger ballot. But then Jeremy Corbyn's office wrote to the Parliamentary Labour Party, this was in 2019, to clarify that any pregnant MP would be exempt from reselection processes used to confirm candidates for the next general election. So under the last leadership, the, there was a ruling essentially from the leadership that if a woman was pregnant, that she wouldn't suffer a or go through a trigger ballot process to potentially have her um, deselected um, as a Labour MP. But you're someone who's spoken about experiences of domestic abuse. You've suggested that that is being weaponized locally in an attempt to deselect you. I would argue that's a far, far more serious set of circumstances than being pregnant. And yet you, we haven't had action taken as action was taken under the last leadership. Yeah, and it's, it's again, to my understanding that it was raised by multiple um, representatives on the National Executive Committee uh, to no avail. And um, as these examples, like the one that you've mentioned, show, I mean, there does appear to be precedent in the Labour Party for halting or postponing um, trigger processes after they've started, if it's thought to be necessary. Yeah. Um, and I, I gave the example of, of, of Naz Shah's trigger that, that, you know, that's more of a recent example, I guess, in terms of the last year. Um, it started in January, February, I believe, um, to my understanding, uh, recommenced, postponed and then recommenced in October last year. Um, but I, what I'm having is, you know, a, a wall of silence, you know, a wall of silence. Um, and I, I certainly feel like, um, you know, there, there is a level of institutional gaslighting that I'm being subjected to um, over the situation and over the evidences, complaints um, and um, issues that I've raised with the party um, at all levels. I mean, as you say, you've got in touch, you were in touch with David Evans, who's the General Secretary of the Labour Party, and Keir Starmer, who's the leader of the Labour Party, but you didn't get a response. Can you just, I mean, what does that tell us? Or how, do, or how, do you, how does that leave you feeling that you haven't had an official response from the party? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe that I've been a victim of intimidation, thuggery and misogyny. I, I think what I've experienced is intolerable. It's unacceptable. Um, but then when I see the way that I've been treated by the party at the highest level, I definitely feel that on top of that, I'm being left isolated and then exposed as well. Um, and, and shamefully, I think that those that should have defended me have, have stood by either as bystanders or, or have allowed for uh, this situation to, to continue. Um, and, you know, I've already been through a vexatious court case. You know, I've I've then had to go through this uh, trigger process mired by these uh, kinds of uh, behaviours um, and you know and, and then the, the trigger process continues in my absence I just can't imagine anyone having to you know mm -hmm. ever face anything like this but yet this is happening um, and then what I would say about I guess you know what, what you say about the but the leadership and, and uh, the general secretary's involvement in, in terms of the processes you know I think about the Ford report actually I think about what the Ford report you know, said about factionism of the party machine, you know, and, and say, you know, saying that in 2015, the majority of the party's senior staff did not see their roles as require, requiring neutrality or even the appearance of it. Hmm. And, you know, and that's what I end up thinking about uh, when, when I see um, uh, the, the, the treatment that I'm, I'm having in, in the party currently.
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And for those who don't know, the Ford report was commissioned by the leadership of the Labour Party after a leaked report showing messages um, between senior Labour Party officials, um, which suggested um, examples of uh, overt hostility to the leadership, but also accusations have been made about racism, which the Ford report then investigated. Um you said back in September 2022, you addressed a campaign group of uh, the socialist campaign group is the, for those who don't know, is the left wing grouping of MPs within the Labour Party. Um, and you said that socialist, um, this socialist Muslim working class woman will not be silenced. So I'm just interested in how you think you've been targeted as a specifically as a socialist Muslim working class woman. Yeah, I mean, entering Parliament, I guess, at a time... You know, um, it was December 2019, the first hijabering woman in Parliament, you know, with a government governed by Boris Johnson, who once described Nikabi women as, as letterboxes. Um, I chose to also do my first speech in Parliament on International Women's Day um, because I come from a very proud tradition in, in the East End, you know, of working class socialism, um, of campaigning against racism. Um, and like, you know, uh, some of my predecessors, including Mildred Gordon, you know, we're really proud people in the East End. Uh, we're fighters. Um, and, you know, I remember my selection as uh, the uh, parliamentary candidate. Um, and, you know, I I feel like I've been standing up for my constituents ever since uh, that time, you know, looking at the, the various um, layers and, and, and sections uh, to have to contend with at a local level um and you know it's no secret that i was opposed by um many um of, of the labor councillors and the labor group in tower hamlets who not only did they oppose and and um you know unite in a campaign um against my selection uh, but then refused to campaign um in my election um and then refused to fund or to be you know party to anything that would support a parliamentary candidate especially a new parliamentary candidate standing for election um, but, you know, it comes back to me about, you know, why did I stand and why is it important? It's very, very important that we have socialist Muslim working class women in parliament um, and, you know, to, to have that sort of uh, representation and to have those voices heard in a place like Westminster. Mm -hmm. um, and I know in that in, in that in that vein, as I said um, in September last year, that I, I, I won't be silenced and I won't be going away. Um, because the duty that I have is to all those people very much like me and beyond 
uh, because um, you know we we're all we all face challenges and people are going through so many different things you know like right now in the cost of living crisis um, but it's so important to make sure uh, that we don't accept and we don't give in to the kind of pressures uh, that people are being put under um, to only have one set of you know values or one set of way of doing things. Um, I don't believe that. And I think it's really important for, for, for me to continue to speak out on behalf of others as well. I mean, just, you, you've said already quite a lot about this, but just is, is there any other ways that the abuse that you've spoken about um, you said it's been weaponized against you for factional reasons. So just any more just to explain what you mean by this and, 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 and why you think this is still the case. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I remember back in June 2022 when, when I did um, fall sick and, you know, I submitted my fit note um, to uh, the general secretary and the leader's office. And it you know, it's it's shocking that, you know, um, over half of the trigger ballot meetings were allowed to continue in my absence. Um, but I think what's even more shocking in, in some ways is the fact that, um, you know, I, I remember different parts and different sections of, of the party um, apparatus um, were briefing out that the sick, the fit note had not been sent or had not been received. You know, so it really makes me feel as though, well, you know, if we, if we try and understand what gaslighting is, you know, gaslighting yeah. is when somebody, say, on an individual level, um, you know, says that the thing that happened didn't happen. And then the second layer of that is, you know, you're kind of crazy yeah. or mad for saying that these, this happened. And at an institutional level, I feel like, well, I've said I've submitted the fit note and there's evidence that I've submitted the fit note. And then I'm being I'm hearing that apparently I've not submitted the fit note and it's not been received. Mm -hmm. And then it's, you know, and then when I come back in September 2022, you know, there's a range of smears and um, a propagation of the idea that I'm basically like, you know, not fit. And, you know, and, and what I'm saying is completely untrue. Um, and I think... Ultimately, I think the leadership um, of David Evans and, and Keir Starmer, you know, have to be responsible. You know, I, I think it's upsetting, you know, that um, the Labour Party continue to make announcements um, about violence against women and domestic abuse when they're not protecting women in the party. Um, and again, I refer to the Ford report, which which you've explained for the, for the viewers, but you know, it, it clearly stated about you know us living. Um, in a political environment that normalises disrespect or discourages, I think it was uh, any notion of vulnerability. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Okay. Um, and you know to, that that the, the responsibility to behave respectfully needs to come. I, I think it said consistently from the top. Okay. And I think you know, in that sense, ultimately, it is the leadership of David Evans and Keir Starmer that are responsible for what is happening in this situation with me. What do you say to your critics who would say, just face the selection process and move on? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are those in the party that, that will just want me to sort of shut up and go away. Um, but not I think not least because of the extents to which they have gone to get rid of me. You know, I still remember the, the last day of, of the the vexatious court case, as I describe it, um, you know, and you know, regional officials standing outside, you know, nobody that came to, to ask what support I needed. But just waiting, you know, to for for the verdict. Um, nothing even, you know, to congratulate or to uh, put out a hand of support. Uh, once I was cleared of those uh, vexatious court charges, um, but but you know, I think 
you know, there's those that there are, of course, those that are going to not want me um, to to continue. Um, and they will not want to admit that they've you know, gone to these great lengths to get rid of me. Mm. Um, and they'll want to make it as easy as possible for themselves. Um, and clearly, you know, the, the strategy is, is um, you know, from their perspective is to continue to silence me and gaslight me. Um, but because I'm a survivor of domestic abuse and after everything that I've gone through, I, I cannot accept mm. being silenced. I cannot accept submitting, submitting to anything that would devalue this. Um, and the enormous, you know, the enormous step it's taken for me to speak out and facing the stigma and the backlash as a result. So I think there's nothing, there's nothing more important to me than this um, for myself and for other survivors of domestic abuse that will be, you know, if they've not heard about this uh, case, they, they, you know, they go to hear about it in the future, whether that's, you know, survivors in Poplar Limehouse um, or up and down the country, you know, and I, I do get contacted by women up and down the country about this. Um, just a couple of final things. It's International Women's Day. And just based on what you just said there, I mean, there's an estimated 1.4 mil million women who face domestic abuse each year in this country, which is a horrifying statistic. So I'm just wondering how you think your own situation relates to what other women are going for. Why it's, why it's important, I suppose, that you've spoken out and why your case is important for those, frankly, horrifyingly high numbers of women. Yeah, I mean... I think it's so important, isn't it, to be able to give others the hope and courage to come forward, um, you know, and, and that's despite, you know, what, what some of us may go through for speaking out and, and experiencing backlash. Um, I, I feel a strong sense of duty to encourage others to come forward. And look, I, I don't think my experiences are actually far from unique, actually, you know, um, and I think that's, you know, looking at the the, the the women that have been in touch um from all over the country um you know i think that 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 signifies the fact that my experiences are far from unique um and i still think that domestic abuse is still something that's you know been hidden for far too long um what we do know is that the the consequences of it are are massive and and long term and you know the consequences of it can be health consequences Absolutely. as well um so I'm still determined to raise awareness, still campaign in this area. Um, and as you say, I mean, I think with International Women's Day, when we, we take the opportunity to highlight achievements and struggles, of course. Um, mm. And for me, it comes back actually to, to, you know, what we've achieved so far in East London. You know, we have such a huge and rich history of um, women's uh, struggles with social justice. Mm. Um, and it's, it's in that tradition of, you know, the East London Federation of Suffragettes, that the history that I look at, you know, going back uh, hundreds of years, um, that, you know, standing up against violence and against uh, women um, and, and pioneering, I guess, um, mm -hmm. women's activism is always going to be something that um, I focus on. Um, and it's in that tradition that I was elected, you know, as the first, uh, I remember it was the first ever British Bangladeshi secretary of the Tahamlet's Labour Party, mm -hmm. the first hijabering MP, you know, these are, these are milestones that have been achieved as a result of continuing to stand up uh, for, for what's right um, and of course there is that I mean there is that feminist slogan you know the personal is political um, and, and you know recognizing the fact that um, women's lives are a part of a systemic um, and structural oppression so you know whether that's standing up for women against domestic abuse or right. women workers that are engaged in industrial disputes and action uh, fighting for their rights the nurses the mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. civil service, the teachers, and I think we just must continue to stand together against uh, these injustices.
just just very finally, at the end of 2022, uh, the Patchwork Foundation awarded you an MP of the Year award. Now, obviously, it's been a very stressful time for you. Um, so it's quite an achievement, I would say, to, to pick up that award. <clears throat> I would imagine the Labour leadership, very proud, one of its MPs. It's a uh, few working class Muslim women has picked up such a prestigious award. So I'm, I'm guessing they sent you lots of congratulations. Well, I was delighted to to win the award, and it was an award actually chosen by young people um, <clears throat> participating in the Patrick Foundation um, courses. Um, but no, sadly, no, I, I didn't receive any um, messages or congratulations um, from mm. from the party, and I, um, I don't know why. Um, I think I'm afraid to say that that speaks its own story. Um, Absalane, honestly, it's been such an honour to have you on International Women's Day. And I do think that your courage in speaking out about your experience is so, so important for so many of the women um, across the country. And I think this is a damning indictment of how politics works, but also shines a light on how things within the Labour Party, well, I think things where they're at. And I think this should horrify people. And I think beyond there'll be people here who don't share our politics, who aren't on the left of the Labour Party, but I would hope that they have some decency and humanity and show solidarity towards you. They put aside whatever politics they might have and accept that this is an unforgivably awful situation um, that you've been in. But honestly, it's such an honour to um, have spoke to you on this day. Um, so love and solidarity and thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.